Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's great to be with you today as we continue in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, talk about things going from bad to worse, right? I mean, that's exactly what David's experiencing right now. Because if you remember last week, he was coming out of a situation where by God's mercy, he had rescued him from a really bad decision. He didn't even have to make the decision. God made a way for him to return home. And so he was excited, no doubt, to be returning home. Maybe you can relate, right? You ever had a bad day at the office? Maybe you had a, a day where you were having some troubles with a, a loved one and, and the relationship was strained. And all you could think about was the time when you got to go home. You got to walk through the door. You got to enjoy maybe an evening with your family. And you start like looking forward to this moment only to find out that your dreams are about to get crushed, right? Because as you walk home, as you start to walk up to the door, you notice there's some things that are not right. You know what I mean? Like you look in the door, you see smoke starting to like bellow out, right? The alarms are going off. Your, your wife, if you're, if you're me, is like lying on the floor crying. The dog's chewing through the drywall. Your kids are shooting like fireworks off in the house. And your whole night that you've been waiting for is crushed, right? So, so you could just like kiss that goodbye. Well, that's exactly what David has happening. This man's been walking for two days with his band of misfits, 600 guys, and they can't wait to go home. But the problem is, is when they get home, they find an extreme mess. Things really have went from bad to much worse. And, and so we see that when they get home, the Amalekites have actually attacked their town. Look at verse 2. It says, and they have taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. By the way, don't make the mistake of they killed no one to be like, oh, these are great guys. Like they killed no one because they're going to sell them probably into slavery or they're going to enslave them. But this is not a good thing. See, when David and their men, his men, they realize what has taken place in their absence, because remember, they were with the Philistines potentially going to invade Israel. They see this. It's burnt to the ground. There's nothing left. Look what it says. It says, they raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. I mean, what a horrific situation to come home to. See, when, when David and his men see this, they realize that their day has went from bad to worse. It's horrible. And they respond. It gets worse, by the way, for David. Because his men see this, and what is their response? Let's stone David. Let's kill this man. It's his fault. He's led us to this moment. Let's crush him. And so David's having a horrific day. He's no doubt overwhelmed. He is troubled. Maybe you have found yourself in similar situations, although my guess is nothing this horrific. This is really bad. This is really bad, but this is the situation that God uses to restore David in so many ways. See, this actual coming to the end of David's rope is the thing that God uses to bring David to his knees and ultimately to himself in a much profound way. See, David has reached the end of his rope. He's done and he has wept. He has no more strength. That's a good thing because when it's when our strength actually ends that, that when we could admit that, when we can get humbled, when God humbles us, that the living water of God's grace starts to flow. Because see, we, we think so many times we got this, and what God is showing David is, you don't, you don't got Jack. You need me. And David realizes this. See, David, it says in verse 6, was greatly distressed. But 
It says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Right? What beautiful words. See, the question that comes to my mind when I read that is, what does it mean to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? And actually, that's what I want to spend the the majority of our time talking about. What does it mean to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? See, the thing is, this text doesn't explicitly tell us what David did. It gives us some clues, and I think we're going to be able to see some of that, but it doesn't say. But I, I want to talk first of what it does not mean. What does it not mean to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Well, if you think back to chapter 27 with David, do you remember? He exiled himself from Israel, and he goes to live among the Philistines. And listen to what it says in verse 1 of chapter 27. See, he's been running from the deranged King Saul, and he goes to the land of the Philistines, and it says this, Then David said in his heart, I want you to not miss that. He says, now, I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. See, David let his heart speak back in chapter 27. And that was not a great thing because he was listening to it. See, not all the answers we need are found in our heart. As a matter of fact, it, it's, it's many times that's not where we find answers. See, David was struggling to believe that God was going to give him the kingdom. He was struggling to believe the promises of God, which led him to start thinking in his own mind and in his own heart. And that led to bad decisions. And see, the heart's not always bad for the believer, right? It feels things, right? And that's a good thing because many times it's kind of like the dashboard on your car, right? Indicator lights, things are going on, something's wrong. But if we think that it's all-knowing, we're fooling ourselves. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, just because our hearts are all feeling does not mean that they're all knowing. See, you and I, we talk to ourselves a lot, right? I know you do. I do. We all do. We're conversating all the day long about the things that are happening in our lives. But what we really need to do is be preaching to our minds, preaching to our hearts. We need God's word. We need truth to come in. And truth's not always found in our feelings, in our emotions, in our heart. But that doesn't answer how do we find strength, right? That tells us where not to find it. But how do we find strength? So I got some some help from my friend John Piper, right? Like this guy doesn't even know we're like best buds, but we really are because he came up with an acronym. And it's called APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. And, and I'll tell you, he actually got this from a guy named J.I. Packer. And I'm convinced they got it from the Bible because I think you'll see it clear as day in the scripture today. And I think this is a great way to continue to walk and to fight the good fight of faith and to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And that's what you and I need. We need God's strength because this world grinds us. It grinds us. The people we love grind us, right? You love your kids, hopefully, but there are days, right? You love your spouse, hopefully, but there are days. Hopefully you enjoy your work. It's a gift from God, but there are days and we need strength and we need strength that can only come from the Lord, which which leads us to this this acronym, right? And you can make it your own. You should make it your own. But the first thing I want to draw our attention to, which is the first point on your map is the letter A stands for admit, right? We must admit that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And here's the thing. You might think that's a strange place to start, 
But it's really not a strange place to start because it's when we are weak that we go to God. See, so many times we're weak and we just think we're strong, right? People love to strengthen themselves in a thousand different ways. Men, listen, men will attempt to strengthen themselves through many different things, right? Like lifting weights. P90X used to be like popular a decade ago, it seems like, right? They, they, were, they would eat these different things, protein bars. You got to lift to actually make that happen though, right? You can't eat protein bars and get strong. You'll just get chubby like me. And so maybe lifting, maybe work right? Maybe you find strength in work. Maybe you find strength in your relationships, in your buds, in your hobbies, in hunting, in grunting. I don't know what you find strength in. But here's the thing. We run to a hundred different things before we run to God. Because, well, how about ladies? Ladies, right? How do you strengthen yourselves? Now, I know this is, this is not true for everyone, but it's beauty, right? Maybe it's beauty. I want to look good. When I look good, I feel good. When I feel good, I feel great. These are good things. Maybe it's being the best mom, Maybe it's being a good wife. Maybe it's your career. I don't know what it is. But all these things are broken cisterns. They can't really supply real, long, lasting strength. How many times do you go to these things, and for a while it works, right? The sun's hitting you. You've been working out. Man, I've dropped some pounds. I'm looking good. I'm feeling good. Life is great. But it doesn't take long before you just dive into a bag of chips, and before you know it, you're not feeling all that strong again. Right? You know what I mean? Like, this is what happens. Because that kind of strength, it's bankrupt. It doesn't last. Right? It does not last. And so we need to see ourselves as needy. And we don't want to do that because we're an autonomous people. I mean, our culture pushes this. America has been built upon it. And it's not all bad. But when it comes to walking with God, it's horrific. We think we don't need God. But if you could see, just for a moment, the spiritual nature and condition that we are in, you and I, we're spiritual quadriplegics. We can't do anything apart from God. And we have to start there. This is where real strength begins. And, and Jesus tells us that, right? Look at John fifteen five. He says, I am the vine. I, get the word picture, right? Like, like Jesus is planted in the ground. He's the vine. And then he says this, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, you're connected to me, and I in him. It is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we get that, right? Like if we were to take and go out to a vine, and we see these branches, and there's these grapes hanging there, this thing looks good, whack that branch off, throw it in the yard, and see how much fruit it produces. It's dead, because it's not connected to the life source. See, strength comes from being connected to King Jesus. We need them. We need to be connected to him. We need to walk with God. We need to receive living water daily. We have to walk with God if we're ever going to be strong in the Lord. And so it's important that we start here, that we're dependent upon God to supply strength. If he doesn't supply it, we can't get it. There's nothing we can do. But God loves to supply strength to his children. He loves to do it because it makes him look great. So when we come to him weak and needy and we say, Dad, I need you, he says, I'd be glad to give to you. And so he gives and he gives generously. This is what humility looks like for the life of the believer. And we're not humble by nature. We need to pursue humility. And we do that as we read the word of God. See, this is exactly what happens to David here in our text for today. It seems we see him as weak and needy. He cries out, I can't do this anymore. 
Finally, he taps. That's a good thing because he's been thinking for a while in his own strength and it's not really led him to great places. People who foolishly think that they have it all figured out are not the people who are known for their prayer life. They're not because you, you don't need God. Why do I need to go to prayer? See, to be strong in the Lord looks like you submitting your life to King Jesus as the one who knows all and is in power and control of all things, including your life. See, it's only when we tap out and quit fighting God that he supplies strength and grace in our time of need. See, weak and needy people draw near to Jesus. I am weak. I am needy. I need him. And if you think you're strong, well, it's, he's not going to supply to you. He's not because you got it. Well, go. And he'll let you go because he's kind like that until you, you see, man, I need the Lord. Which leads us to the second point, which is prayer. Prayer. See, we must pray for God's help in our time of need. See, here's the thing. Prayer is the lifeline to the one who, who controls life and death, right? We have direct access to God. Think of this. I think so many times we hear these things and it just does not blow us away by the nature that we, we actually get to draw near to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy and help in our time of need. That we have this great high priest who's always, always mediating the relationship between God the Father and us and that he is maintaining this relationship so that we can go to God in our time of need and we We can go to him and he always hears us. He delights to hear us. And not only that, but that he actually has power and strength to do something about the situation that we find ourselves in. See, do you remember the last time that David went to God in 1 Samuel? It's been a while. See, if you remember, the last time that David asked for the ephod and and for the the priest, right, was back in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9. The last time that we heard the the word God off the lips of David was in chapter 26. And there's been a long time between those chapters and where David finds himself right now. He's not been talking to God. Not from anything I can see in the scriptures. He's not been drawing near to God. He's been thinking in his own head, in his own heart. He's been relying upon his own strength. But finally, God has brought him to a point where he's calling out, I need you. And, and God answers in so powerfully of a great way, right? See, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he says this, quote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I believe that. See, there's been times in my life where I, as a believer, I've not been praying. So, so don't think if you're, you're in a dry season that you're, oh, I'm not saved. no. No, you, you are. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. But man, you want to know if you're in Christ, you're calling out to your Father. You're talking to Him. Because what a joy. See, Jesus tells us this in Matthew 7, 7. He says this. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. How about James 4, 2? He says this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now think about this. That means that there's things in that God's ready to pour out upon your life that you don't have because you don't ask. God, don't let that be true of us. Right? And I don't mean a Benz. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't mean like, send me some bling. Right? 
you might not still have that because James would continue in that text and he says, you don't have because you, even though you do ask, you ask for wrong motives. You ask for your selfish self. And so he don't give it to you. See, God's not some like spiritual pinata. You know what I mean? And like prayers like our stick and we just keep whacking them until goodies come out. That's not what this means. What this means is, God, I need grace. I need power. Help me to love my enemies. Help me to forgive my wife, my husband, my children. He's gladly pouring that out on you. And if you don't have it, have you asked? And if you have asked, have you continued to knock and to seek after the things of God? And if you haven't, why? Why? Because you got this. I already asked one time. See, Psalm 50, 15 says, call upon me in your day of trouble. God says, and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Oh, what a great promise. See, many times grace and mercy is not supplied necessarily in deliverance, although that's exactly what happens in David's case. But maybe it's just an endurance. Maybe it's just he gives you the grace to continue to endure even though nothing changes. Is that God answering your prayer? You better believe it is. Because it's a miracle that you and I wake up loving Jesus anytime that happens. He keeps us to the end. What a good father. But we call out on him. And this is what David does. David calls out on the Lord and the Lord delivers him. Look what it says in verse 7. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this band, he asked. Shall I overtake them? And God answers him, and he says, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. Oh, it's good to see David gone to his God again. It's so good. God is patient. If you've been in a season where you've not been praying, I want you to know God's patient. He's patient. He loves you. He's enduring He's enduring, and he's moving things around in your life to bring you to a point where you see how utterly dependent you and I are upon this great God. See, I know from a a father's perspective how much it pleases me when my daughter, she comes up to me and she's like, Dad, hey, Dad, can can you and I, can we go get some ice cream? First off, that's a blessing to me, right, because I love ice cream. But it's a blessing because I see my daughter coming to me. She's, she's needy, but she's 13. As she gets older, she don't need me as much right now, or at least that's what she thinks. This is how we are. But my love for her does not change. And my love is frail. It's pathetic at times. God's love is never pathetic. His love is perfect. So if you're not praying, his love for you doesn't change. But I want you to know of his great love. Why? So you'll pray. So you draw near. Why? So you can trust him, which leads us to the next piece on your map. T, trust, right? We must know and trust the promises of God. I, I say know and trust because you and I won't trust who we don't know. You know what I mean by that? Like, I, I think, question, question. Does your suffering cause you to draw near to God? in your time of need. Does it? See, the reason I ask is because I want to be careful here because I think a lot of times within our culture um, and, and sometimes with, even within the church, I run into people who look at the promises of God detached from God almost as though they're like magical incantations. You know what I mean? Right, like let me help maybe lay out a picture for you. So 
We'll give the command, but we won't give the actual providence that's in the text. And, and so you're anxious, right? Someone might come up to you and they like slap a bumper sticker on you. It says, do not be anxious in anything. Well, that's, it's not really helpful. It's not really helpful. Oh, thanks. Uh, don't be anxious. I'm still anxious, right? Or, or how about you're sad? Oh, I got one for you. Rejoice always, my brother. You could add that or my sister, and, and you're like, mm, still not rejoicing. Or, or how about this? You're in a trial. I love this one. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Why? Because when you meet trials of various kinds, and they just stop there, just count it joy. Do it. Come on, click your heels, Dorothy. Or how about this? You're trying to bench press like 3,000 pounds. Hmm, can't do that, right? Yeah, I can't either. But that's okay, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That doesn't help anyone. That doesn't help anyone. It's, it's laughable. See, these aren't magic incantations. It's not that that's not God's word. It's just detached from who he is. It's, it's like we say these words as though like they're going like, to zap you with something. They're not going to zap you. See, it's not that the problem is that these words are not powerful. These words are powerful. They're true. They're living. They're active. You can trust them. But the problem is, is we've detached them from the promises and the character of God. See, many people claim to know God. But as we look closer, it's, it's obvious that they know about God. They know about God, but they don't know God. See, it'd be like, let's say you and I, let's, let's pretend for a moment. Let's say you and I have a mutual friend on social media, right? And um, let's call him Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. And uh, you and I get to talking about Jimmy one day because you notice that I have Jimmy as a friend. And you and I are the only one in all our friend network who actually has Jimmy as our one personal friend, right? Pretty cool. And you're like, hey, I noticed that you, you're friends with Jimmy on Facebook. How do you know Jimmy? Ah, oh, Jimmy, I know Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy's a great guy. Love Jimmy. Jimmy, did you know that dude was just down in South Carolina? Yeah, he's eating crabs. I saw the pictures. He had some sunsets. Man, it's beautiful. And you're like, I know he was down there. There. They were at Loretta's house. And I'm like, oh yeah? And you're like, yeah, Loretta. Do you, you do know Loretta, right? And I'm like, mm, no, I just know Jimmy. And you look at me befuddled, right? Why? And you, well, because Loretta is his wife of 45 years. That's awkward, right? And, and by the way, the house that they, they went to in South Carolina to eat the crabs, yeah, that's where they met. That's where they got married. Not only that, but that's where they go every year, three times a year for vacation. And all I know is that Jimmy went there this year. And you're like, I thought you knew Jimmy. I'm like, I do know Jimmy. Like, how do you know him? Well, I saw that you were friends with him on Facebook. Like a cool dude. I friend requested him. He said, yes, we're friends. And guess what? He even liked something I said about Jesus last week. We're buds. <laughs> well, you're not buds, right? It'd be strange if you said, I know Jimmy. Like, we're pals. You, you don't know Jimmy. You know about Jimmy. Oh, I hope that's not how we treat our relationship with God. That we just know about God. Because you've got to know God if you're going to trust God. And so, so we see that. David knows his God. See, I want so desperately for you to be able to see and to believe and to know and to trust that God is for you. Because he longs for you to know him. And, and see, our ignorance in the character of God has led to professing Christians all over the world to be very weak and very needy, but not in the way I want you to be needy, right? And, and this lack of truly knowing God leads us to become many times very confused, very ignorant, 
and very frail in faith. We need to know God. This is why we're reading through the Bible in a year. Why? So you can check it off and get a little badge and someone give you a high five? No. It's so that you can know your God. And he loves to reveal himself through his word. And so maybe you tapped out on that program like in January. You know what I mean? Well, that's all right. It's summer. Pick it back up. What if it took you two years to go through this? That's okay. Keep going. Don't quit. Keep reading. Why? Because your God will show you his strength. He'll show you who he is in the word. See, we must personally know God if we're going to trust him and if we're going to trust his promises. This is where real strength comes from. Notice in verse 6, right? it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. I love that it says his. It doesn't just say that he strengthened himself in the Lord God. That'd be fine too. But it says his God. Do you see the personal touch there? This is my God. I can trust him. I know him. Is, is that how you think of God when you go to him, when you claim the, the promises of the Bible? Because I'm about to rattle off some promises that you should tuck in your brain and in your heart so that when the day of trouble comes, that you can cling to these. Cling to these. Cling to him. Right? So Isaiah 41.10. Man, listen. Fear not. Okay, that alone is just a command and not helpful if you detach it from the provision. But here's the provision. Why not fear? Because I am with you. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, God says. You can bank your life on that verse. You should. I have. I do. Not only that, but Isaiah 64, 4. Man, this is beautiful. Listen, I know I'm going to be shooting these things off. You need to go back to these texts and keep reading them. You're never going to get it all right now. You know, I've had this conversation with some, some pastor friends of mine. There are times when I get going and it's kind of like you just crack open a fire hydrant and water comes out and rips your face off. That's what I'm doing with these texts. But just because I'm done preaching these does not mean that you can't go back to them. Go back and drink, right? But let's, let's keep moving. Isaiah 64, 4 says this. For of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You have a God who acts for you, who serves you. What an amazing thing. And this God's all powerful. He's for you. He's working for you. You can trust him. How about 2 Corinthians 9, 8? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All things, all times, your God's working for you. This is amazing. Philippians 4, 19 through 20, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. To our God, the Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Man, you can bank on these. You need to bank on these. I need to bank on these. Get to know your God. And as you do, it'll show up. It'll show up in how you live. It'll show up in obedience. You'll see that in your life, which leads us to the next, the next letter in your acronym. A stands for act. Act. We must act in obedience to God's word while expecting God to provide 
what he promises. See, true faith will always show itself in action and obedience. I'm not talking perfect obedience, right? I think we cover this every time I say that because I want to make sure I'm clear. See, if you're living and banking your soul's life on any action, it's on the action of Christ. It's on his righteousness. It's on his perfect life. It's on his death. It's on his resurrection. That's the works I'm banking my life on. But that doesn't mean we don't work, right? We do. We're a good works machine, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, this is what we see in the life of a believer. It's the proof of the root of faith. And we know this. See, our believing affects our behaving. There's there's to be absolutely no sitting around or waiting to get zapped in strength, right? I mean, spending time in the presence of God, that's a great thing. But many times, the strength that we're waiting for doesn't show up until we take a step, till we move, till we act, right? Like, we're calling upon God to do these amazing things, and and he's going to do them, but you must step. You must move. You must trust that he's going to be there when you put your foot forward, I'll never forget a time when Pastor Mike called me late into the evening one night. This is long before I was a pastor on staff. And he said, Scott, I need you to go to a hospital. It's late at night. I'm in Pittsburgh. I'm on my way. I don't know what's happened, but I know it's bad. I know it's really bad. And, and this is like, I just became a non-vocational elder. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'll go. And I get there. And it, it's horrific. I won't even talk about it. I felt like I had concrete in my shoes. I didn't want to go into that room. I didn't even know what to say when I did. But I'm, I'm banking on these promises. I'm, I'm, I'm saying them over and over in my head. And I know that my God will be with me. And so I go in. And guess what? That's when grace showed up in amazing ways. He just, he just did what he says he'll do. But I never would have known had I not went in. And you won't either. What is it that God's calling you to do? And you know he's going to show up in amazing ways and do it, but you just won't do it. Why? Because you're afraid. I know, I, I know all about fear. I mean, I, I could write a book on it. I don't know about the solutions to it, even though I know them in my head. I don't know if I can always get them in my heart. I know what it means to be afraid. Oh, but we have an amazing God. We have an amazing God that you can trust. And you need to trust him because that's when he shows up. That's when he supplies grace. See, the gospel must compel us to participate with King Jesus in the world that we live in. In your family, right? In your church, in your neighborhood, in, in the lives, in the peoples, in the places, wherever you go. He will show up. See, grace is free. But grace doesn't, it doesn't create freeloaders. It's not, it's not what grace produces in the life of a believer. It produces people who are like good works machines. Why? So that we can get saved? No, because we are. Because we are. You have power, real power in the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. Do you believe that? That the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is now at work in all who believe. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it will change how you live. It will wreck your hair. Right? You know what I mean by that? Like, you're not going to be the same. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't want to be who I used to be. That's not who I am. I'm new. And this is real power. And it doesn't come from me. It comes from God Almighty. 
And it's when you act. It's when you trust him. And this is exactly what we see in 1 Peter 4.10. So, so look at this. It's a big text. I'd love to talk about it for days, but they won't give me days. So let's just talk about it for a moment. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, see, God gives gifts to his people, to you, right? To bless others and to glorify himself. There's not one person here who's in Christ who does not have a gift that God has given you. He has given it to you. Why? So that you can build his church. You can increase it in health, in size. He gives you this so that you can be in the game. You are not to be on the sidelines watching other people. No, get in the game. And, and, and Peter breaks it down in two ways right? He, he breaks it down in speaking gifts, right? Those who preach, those who teach. And, and when we speak and when we preach, we do it by God's power, right? But, but I got to act. I got to do something. I got to get up here and I got to preach, but it's not me preaching. Who is it? It's God, right? Whoa. What is that what it says? Yeah, that's what it says. Look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29, because it says this, him we, wrote, we proclaim, we preach. This is what Paul says. And warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, I toil and struggle with whose energy? With all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Who does it? I do it. Who does it? He does it. Who's doing it? He's doing it. This is crazy, right? And you think, well, that's that's the preacher. Yeah, I understand that. Oh, you ain't getting out of this, right? Why? Because there are those who then have serving gifts. Serving gifts. Yeah. And, and when you serve, you serve by the strength that God supplies. So if you're handing out bro- brochures, right, and you're smiling, you're doing that by God's strength. If you're in the nursery, change diapers in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm serious. I'm serious. There's a way to do that that's detached from God. But you're praying. You're, you're caring for these people. You're doing this. They're crying. Their heads are spinning around. They're crawling on the ceiling. They're vomiting. And you're like, I don't want to go in there. I don't blame you. I don't either. You better say a prayer and get in there. Why? Because they need you. They need you. Well, who's going to give you the power? God will give you the power. You can trust him. You can trust him. So many times we think, I'll start to do this or that when I arrive. You ain't going to arrive. Get in the game. Why? Because that's when he shows up in your life. Big time. You can trust that. Because listen, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says this. He says, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, who was it then, Paul? But the grace of God that was in me. You get this? Like we, we do this, but he does this. That's an amazing dichotomy. That's something that you should think about until Jesus returns or you go meet him, right? Do you trust that? Do you trust him to do that? And so you might be sitting here thinking, this all sounds way too impossible. And in one sense, you're right. It really is somewhat impossible because as we said earlier, you and I can do nothing of internal value apart from the power of God working in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit. 
right? And I've been exhausted at times in my life and even in ministry. And I think many times as I look back, what's going on there? Sometimes it's just I'm exhausted. But there's other times it's because I really wasn't working in God's power. Imagine a sailboat, right? And I, I put it up halfway and I'm like, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just getting out of breath and exhausted because I'm doing it in my strength. But man, there are times where I just, I put that sail up, you know what I mean? And, and like the Holy Spirit, power, real wind starts to move me. Why? Because he's good like that. So I need to every day submit myself to King Jesus and say, I can't do today apart from you, but I know your mercies are new. I can trust you. Supply what I need, God. And I'm going to trust that you will. How do I know I trust? I get out of bed and I put my foot down and I walk. What? By faith. Knowing he's going to do it. Why? Because he's good like that. You can trust him. I can trust him. And this is exactly what David and his 600 men do. That's what they do. They are in hot pursuit of the Amalekites. And, but notice, 200 of men's, David's men, they tap out because they're tired. Remember, they've been, they've been walking for two days, 60 plus miles. They get there. They're exhausted. They're done. But David, David and his men, they don't even blink. The other 400 and David continue to pursue. They continue to go. And David and his men roll up on the Amalekites, right? Remember the Egyptian slave boy that they left behind? Bad decision because he leads them to these people and they get there and look what they walk into. They are spread abroad, it says, all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing. I think they celebrate a little too early because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines, from the land of Judah. Talk about God's mercy. Mercy, once again. See, it appears that these men are too drunk and too full to fight against 400 weary yet strong in the Lord men. And notice verse 17, it says, David struck them down from twilight until evening to the next day. And not a man escaped except 400 young men who mounted on camels and got out of there, right? That's exactly what happened. See, God did what he said he would do. David trusted the promise. 200 tapped out. It had been very easy for that moment. They would be like, man, we, what are we doing? We can't go in and fight these men. Now, we, we didn't really probably have a great chance with 600, but now there's like 400 of us. No, God said it. He'll do it. I got to keep moving. And that's what he does, which leads us to what? Our last point, T. It leads to thanks. When God shows up, when, listen, we must thank God for whatever good comes our way, which glorifies him, right? David's weak, he's needy, and God shows up. Of course, it's going to lead to praise. Thankfulness is an indicator of someone who is a recipient of God's grace. It, it, it shows that like grace and gratitude go together, right? If David did this in his own strength, he might not thank God. He was done. And God showed up, which leads him to praise. And it should lead us to praise. See, Ephesians 5.20 says, Give thanks in all things, always for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about Psalm 50.23? It says, The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies God. Because God don't need anything from you and I. He doesn't need anything, but it pleases him when we praise him for all that he does. 
And he does all good things in our life. If you've ever received anything good, it's from the hand of God because he's a good God. And David and his men had plenty of reasons to be thankful, right? Because they'd recovered everything. Look again in verse 18. It says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Good job, David. Now, nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything had been taken. David brought back everything. David also captured all the flocks and the herds and all the people and drove the livestock before him. And he said, and they said, this is David's spoil. But David would have absolutely none of that. So David and his men start their long journey home. And guess who they run into? The 200 men that they left behind. And these 400 guys, they're like, don't give them anything. They tapped out. They're wimps. Maybe give them back their wives because we don't want them. But it doesn't even say that. That's my own conjecture. But, But don't give them anything else. You know what I mean? And, and David's like, no, I'm not going to have that. David gives thanks to God. He gives glory to God. And he proves himself to be a generous king. Why? Because he gives to them. Not only does he give to them, he gives to these people who left. He gives to the people who came with him. He gives to the ones who could go no farther. And he gives to the leaders in Judah. And he gives thanks to God for everything. And that glorifies God. That makes him look amazing. There's no doubt that God's glory is shining in this moment. See, because David is strong in the Lord and his strength shows up in how generous he is with all that the Lord has given him, right? See, David's generosity should remind us of the one who gave all. This is a shadow. This is the shadow of the real thing, the substance, the real king, King Jesus, who gave everything, including himself. See, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is, is, is really, it's, it's a most beautiful text. You should think about it, right? You should, should go home and you should think about this text and what it costs to save sinners like you and I. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, he's in heaven. He owns all things. Angels are singing to him 24-7. And, and he, he becomes poor. Why? For our sake. It says, for your sake, he became poor. Why? So that you and I, by his poverty, might become rich. This is straight gospel. This is beautiful. Jesus is the strongest man ever, and he shows his strength most evidently in his generosity. He was so generous that he gave his life for the church. He gave his blood to ransom and to rescue you and I. He set aside all things and he humbled himself down to the point of a man. A man. And he went to a cross. Why? Not because he had ever sinned, but because we had sinned. And he goes there and he, he stretches out his hands in generosity. And he becomes the, the object of the Father's wrath. And he receives the punishment. The, he, he pays the debt that you and I, who are spiritually poor, could never pay God the Father back. He pays it on our behalf. He pays the bill and he says, it's finished. It's finished. Now trust in me. Believe in me, Jesus would say. And, and as you do, you become rich. Why? Because you inherit God. You inherit God. And when you get God, you become a co-heir of everything God has. What does God have? He has everything. But the greatest thing that you and I ever get is we get God as our Father. 
That's the good news of the gospel. And it required Jesus to go to a cross and to go to a grave and triumphantly resurrect from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death and make a way for sinful people like you and I to draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and to receive help and to receive real power. He gives that to us. Why? Because he's generous. Oh, he's so generous. I mean, my words fail me when I think about how good God is. I'm a stumbling, fumbling idiot at times. But I want you to know our God is generous. Our God is so generous. See, and this should cause us, his children, to be what? To be generous. With what? Everything. This is our response. See, it is no longer your time. You don't have your time. It's Jesus' time. Right? It's no longer my talents. You don't have talents. They're God's talents. You're just stewards of them. You don't, you don't actually have treasure anymore. And if you do, it's King Jesus. It's not your money. It's Jesus's money. Steward it well. Be generous. Why? Because your Father in heaven's generous. And don't live as though like this is your only life. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. Your life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's gone soon. You are going to wind up in the grave. You might be thinking, this is not the message I'm looking for. It's coming. Don't waste your life on trivial things. Why? Because you have all of eternity where there is pleasure forevermore at the right hand of God. And you get to be in his presence forever. So you know what you can be? You can be a generous people with everything you have. Why? Because this is just a blip on the radar. You don't have to get all yours right now. You have forever with God. Spend your lives giving. You can't outgive him. I promise you, the more you give, the more he supplies. And I'm not talking just finances. I'm talking everything about your life. Invite people into your home. Share your time with them. Love them. And the more you do, the more power shows up. I promise you, will you trust God to believe him to do these things? Because listen, God will do his work. Believe that. Believe that. But we must act. It's time to act. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.